Hey, Last Looks crew, welcome to our annual Last Looks Oscars special episodes where I interview all five teams nominated for their outstanding work. This is the 96th annual Academy Awards. The awards will be held March 10th at the Dolby Theatre in Hollywood. Every team is asked the same set of questions, but of course, they all give very different answers. Every year, the work is excellent, and this year is no different. I want to take a quick moment to thank all our Last Look sponsors. You truly help keep this little beast of a show going, and for that, I am forever grateful. If you would like to support the podcast, it's as easy as buying us a coffee. And when I say us, I mean me. (laughs) Don't be fooled in thinking there is a team of podcast elves helping. (laughs) You can find a link in the show notes of any of these episodes if you would like to show your love and support. My name is Jamie Lee, a film hairstylist living in Long Beach, and this is The Last Looks Podcast, a show where I catch up with hairstylists and makeup artists working in the film and TV industries around the world. And today, in these Oscars special episodes, I'm speaking with all five Oscar-nominated teams for their outstanding work. Let's do this. And now, a word from our sponsor. Are you tired of showing up to set with dry, cracked hands? Well, now your well-moisturized mitts will be the talk of the town, thanks to Hands Down Sanitizer. The best in the biz, hands down. Other products are loaded with fillers. Hands down is all natural, made with essential oils from Paris and real aloe. So you can say goodbye to the dry and say aloe to clean, soft skin. Their organic, non-toxic formula comes in a variety of soothing scents. Lavender, coconut, lemongrass, and clove. Your hands will feel great and smell great, guaranteed. Created by Emmy-nominated makeup artist Stephanie Fowler, Each bottle is handcrafted just for you. And it's not just good for your skin. It's also good for the planet. Hands Down is refillable, recyclable, and sustainable. Where does one find such a treasured possession? Hands Down is available at most makeup and hair suppliers and online. Hands Down Refresher and Sanitizer. Because when it comes to your skin, you deserve the star treatment. And now, our feature presentation. Picture up. Last looks. Rolling. And action. Welcome to the Last Looks podcast, Louisa. Hi, Jamie Lee. It's really nice to be here. It's nice to have you, lady. So congratulations on your Oscar nomination for your work on the film Oppenheimer. Thank you very much. Now, if you could tell us your name and what your position on the film was. Yes, my name's Louisa Abel, and I was the head of the makeup department on Oppenheimer. Okay, so let's get into some technical stuff straight away. Let's talk about some of the characters. So I would love to start with having you talk us through three of the characters from the film, from research and development through to daily application. Great. Well, firstly, I wanted to say how nice it was getting to work with you on this project and working on the film and collaborating with both you and your team. It was amazing. (laughs) You're sneaky, Um, Louisa. (laughs) (laughs) I'm honored to be um, a spokesperson for the Oppenheimer team today. Yeah, you're the, the best spokesperson we could have. Yeah, well, one of the main things with, with the characters, I'd, I'd love to speak about Oppenheimer and Kitty and Strauss, because I think everyone's interested to know a bit more about them. Yeah. The whole project was very collaborative um, with Chris Nolan, and 
you know, one of the things that was amazing with all of the characters was with all of the actors, we were invited to the first costume fitting. And so basically when we designed the costume designer, the hair and makeup team, the prop master, we were all there together with the director to design the process right from the beginning. That was probably different to, I think, a lot of directors. And we were able to research all the characters from archive photos. So, you know, with Oppenheimer, there were six main stages to his looks. And, you know, there were subtle changes in between, I know, for both the hair department and costume department that made sort of smaller time changes. But the main look for the prosthetic departments were six of them. So I think the first one was really his youngest look that was at Cambridge, and he was in his early 20s. So one of the main things we had to do was youth and Killian up, which is not that hard a task as he's such a handsome man, but I used plumpers to sort of fill out his face and then his freckles were kind of neutralized. And then we had to add blood back into his skin once all the freckles were neutralized. Then we carried on to a second look in sort of in his 30s where he's sort of more tanned and glowing in his sort of happy phase. And then later on in Los Alamos, I know that there were some changes because he was in the army and then obviously the iconic hat moment. But there were subtle changes there to make his skin transition from him being out in the elements and in that kind of happy phrase in Los Alamos. And then later on in the fifth look, we were in the room 2022, where by that point, there were small pieces that were encapsulated in stretch and stipple age material that was custom made for Killian and for IMAX. There was sort of subtle paint work underneath to kind of get layers that were really subtle so that they work for close-ups on Killian. The different layers, the effects that we had, they kind of used the wrinkles that occurred in his face naturally with the stretch and stipple, and it was an invisible material which really worked well for these tight close-ups. And and all of this look was sort of tested for IMAX for for both color and black and white so that when we got into this sequence, you know, you could really go very, very tight close up on this looks and not see too much texture, but get the thing that we wanted, you know. And when you say invisible, like you mean actually see-through, like you could see his skin through what you were using or... Yes, correct. Like basically we were using a technique where there were multiple layerings of this aging stipple, but you could actually underpaint and underlay coloring of age spots and different kind of redness and stuff that you wanted in the aging, but actually it was translucent. So even though, you know, I say invisible, I mean, the reality is you wanted it to look as natural as possible so that you got lost in the character in that scene and you didn't really see the makeup but only afterwards you were aware that there was huge changes but yeah. that you get this translucency yeah exactly yeah and then by the end of the the final look which is at the ceremony then you see Oppenheimer fully aged and with that that was full silicone pieces with the age stretch and stipple too so it's very light uh, airbrush washes of coloring for that and that was that gave his final look 
And then he had contact lenses to kind of dull his eyes as well by that point. Yeah, because I mean, Killian's eyes are that sparkly blue, aren't they? They're very alive, very yeah, young. <laughs> yeah, so we wanted to just subtly, because obviously Oppenheimer at that point, even though he looked a lot older than a lot of people do now, you know, he was only in his um, late 50s at that point. So he just looked a lot older than most people do in their 50s now. But we, so we didn't really want him to look like an old man. We just wanted him to look that sort of, you know, a little bit more worn than, than Killian's fresh face, you know. So basically the span of it was from 1925 until ceremony was 1963. Yeah, so it went right through from his 20s right the way through to his sort of very late 50s. And for anyone that doesn't know what plumpers are, do you want to just talk about what that what that is? Yes. I mean, people make them differently, but actually Hamer Effects was the lab and Jason Hamer runs that and did some amazing plumpers that were pretty unique to Oppenheimer because we needed to have the section of Killian's cheek. Every I think most people know Killian Murphy know he has these amazing high cheekbones that are beautiful and really worked very well for the older sequence once he started to lose weight. But we wanted to fill out that cheek area that's just below the cheekbone. So we needed to actually make om- almost like braces, um, retainer, where you could have a retainer with a hard form flesh area that could actually plump out from inside the mouth so that they could be slotted onto his teeth and he would talk with them, but it actually filled out that area. So we were able to use that for the very young look and then remove them as we wanted his face shape to change. And then as he got older, obviously then Killian lost more weight. So that just kind of kept going the whole way through. We could actually use it for the, for the aging sequence. Yeah. It's a, it's amazing how those tiny little things made such a great difference. Yeah. Yes. And they're, they're actually very complicated to make and very tricky to get the exact spot. But uh, we did multiple tests, I think about five tests with them, and they ended up fitting really, really well. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think actors get a bit concerned about speaking and things too, don't they, with having something in the mouth. So for it to be comfortable and do the job is pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think they work really well and Killian was happy by the end. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, is that all you wanted to touch on with Killian? Yes, I think that's good for Killian. Yes, moving on to Emily Blunt playing Kitty. So I, I think with, for her, I'm, the, the main thing for her younger look was we realized that Kitty was probably, she's very um, beautiful, obviously, Emily Blunt, and, and Kitty at her youngest look, we could use her natural beauty for that sequence. Mm. We started off with her looking, having a period beauty makeup with sort of using a period palette for the party sequence that we see right at the beginning. And then gradually I started to break her down. So with that, it meant that, you know, she obviously became an alcoholic. During Los Alamos, I started to just subtly take away the makeup. She had a much more natural look when she was living in Los Alamos. And we had reference of that kind of look for her. So in unison with obviously how her hair changed for each decade, then gradually I could transform her look and start to remove some of the makeup. So she looked more tired. She had a much more ruddy face complexion. And then gradually we started adding eye bags and a silicone neck waddle. So by the time you get to 
the interrogation in the room 2022 or the hearing that's in there, then by that point, she really has broken down and we fully aged her at that point. So she looked like a much older woman from, you know, sort of her early 30s going on through to early 50s. By that point, she's really a full, full alcoholic, sadly. And then I airbrushed a, a beauty makeup, corrective beauty makeup over the silicone pieces. And then obviously she had the iconic red lipstick, which I think sort of sold the period of her having, you know, made herself ready to confront these men that are accusing her husband of something. Yeah. Is that always the approach that you would go with? needing to put a beauty makeup on top of aging makeup like that? You'll airbrush, airbrush it? I do. I mean, when you use silicone pieces, you will always airbrush over them to give the blood tone over the actual piece and then get that kind of model effect. But we had to be really careful with IMAX because you see so much texture. And so if you, if you aren't light-handed enough with the washes of color, mm. It can be, you can actually just see the makeup, which obviously that, in truth, for a period makeup, you could actually see makeup. I mean, it is something that would have been the case. But I think for for this film, I, I didn't want anything to be distracting. So yeah. I didn't want people to be looking at that kind of stuff. So even though I wanted it to be true to the period, I was more subtle handed with that so that we we could see that it was a period beauty makeup, but you couldn't really... You weren't starting to look at the makeup itself. I mean, I think I wanted everything to be true to the character, but also mm. to a certain extent invisible so that you were really watching the film as opposed to, you know, seeing specific makeups. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. And then her final stage, just like with Killian, then she had full prosthetic pieces on, silicone pieces. So it was pretty much the same approach that we had with Killian. Although with her at the end as well, then we then I airbrushed and had a beauty makeup over the silicone pieces, which you just had to be really light-handed with that. But I think it worked really well by the end. She she didn't look well. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's fun with Emily too. I think she had a lot of fun with that makeup. <laughs> yeah, she did. I, mean, I think it's always strange to sort of see yourself, you know, whatever, 20, 25 years older than you really are and to see what could happen. Although I don't, I don't think Emily will look like Kitty at that age. No. <laughs> she starts chain smoking and drinking every day. <laughs> yeah, they're like the martinis a lot. Right? Yeah. But um, it's a shame that we don't actually, not that I'd want to probably sit through that process, but I, it would be fascinating to have that makeup applied to you, I think. Yeah. I mean, that was something that I have to say with Jason at Hamer and Hiro Yada at Hamer Effects. Mm. They really, we we were so detailed in the sculpts and everything from each phase, every time we tested it to kind of shift everything, the you know, minuscule little things of how it worked on the face to get them to really work with the actor's movement of their mm. face. So that really helped, I think, because by the end, you know, every detail in the sculpt, I think, really worked in our favor. So I think in that final scene, that's what was so amazing, you know, because you you see these small details of like, you know, neck areas and, the, you know, how, how a face can transform subtly mm. to get that kind of middle-aged, 
but alcoholic aged look, but in such a beautiful, subtle way. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So Robert Downey Jr. as Strauss. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, that that was an interesting process. Um, And obviously, as you know, with the start with first meeting Robert and him being prepared to fully transform himself into Strauss and, you know, not be a a lookalike makeup of of the character, but to be a, a really full flavor of what Strauss was and kind of transforming Robert from, you know, f- obviously his full head of hair to to the hairline and hair look that was Strauss. Then on the makeup side, you know, we we did a full character makeup for him with this custom stretch and stipple, the same version of of the stretch and stipple custom made formula that we had for Killian. And one of the main things was obviously once he'd had his hairline meticulously shaved down and and cut down to how it looked, which was extraordinary. One of the main things was having to color his scalp and bring all the blood tones back into that area and then add aging marks on the top of his head and his scalp and then all over his face. So with all of these aging freckles, we use templates for all of that to get the continuity precise for the whole film. And I use you know, stencils on the hands. So, you know, for Robert, he had these two looks of sort of a, a younger Strauss and the version of that, which I could on my side use a lot more of his, how he naturally is, which obviously Robert is a very young, handsome looking man for the age he is as an actor. Mm. And then transform him and then break him down to make him look Strauss's age, which I think by the end was, if I think correctly, was I think 63. I think that's about it for Strauss. Can I ask a technical thing on how you make templates? Oh, yeah. So there's varying ways that you can do this to make templates for a character for aging spots, but we actually use two different ways on this. For Kitty, we actually used sponges and cut out the areas of where you wanted the age spots. So these little kind of stencil sponges that you could put the color on and then stencil them onto hands and neck areas. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was one of the ways we did it. It seemed easier for Emily to do it that way. And then we also, you can use template stencils almost like for the listeners, if you're using stencils for letters or things like that, where there is a cutout either in plastic. For us, we use a softer plastic so that it could be bendable to go around the areas that we needed on the leg. So we use those to actually detail and make specific points of where we wanted these age spots so that when you were seeing the film, even though we were shooting out sequence, all of them are exactly the same place. Yeah, and the same size and stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it worked well. And then some of the stuff was freehanded as well, but those kind of templates help kind of keep the consistency, you know, to make the process faster for all the actors, you know, made the choice right at the beginning to have, with the aging, two main artists working on the character to do any of the paint, and then three people to actually do the stretch and stipple part of it so that we could be faster. So that helped as well because it meant people could work 
on either side of the actors and actually know where the template stuff was going to go. So as we started to repeat the looks, you know, over and over, we could just do it as you know, as fast as possible. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's half of what it's all about, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. You're doing it once, it's fine, but when you're doing it for you know month, it's a it's a lot. And doing repeating it after you know gaps in between, it really helps. You know, make sure that for IMAX close-ups, you're 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 spot on with the continuity. Yeah. And talking about that, what did you find to be your biggest challenge during filming? Well, so with Oppenheimer, there were, there were so many things that we faced. You know, as a team, I mean. We had to transform, I mean, 73 actors into this, you know, the characters they were in this period film. Mm. And most of them were representing historic figures. And then we were spanning, you know, five decades. So just the challenge of that, of figuring all of that out was huge. I mean, we we knew from the start that we'd be practically facing, you know, every challenge and working on Chris Nolan's films, I mean, it's a rapid pace. We knew that we were filming, you know, 70 mil IMAX and there was going to be no reliance of CGI. And it's nowhere to hide. <laughs> no. It, you know, we were all lighting conditions and extreme elements. You know, we were, you know, in New Mexico, which every hair and makeup person that's worked out there knows that you're going to get sandblasted in storms and it's freezing cold weather. And, there's so there's so much going on. So, you know, I think for our side with prosthetics, knowing that we were out there where dirt would be grabbing onto the prosthetics, there were a lot of sort of extreme things that we had to face in that way. One of the main things at the beginning was making sure that we had sort of like this detailed linear aging and continuity breakdown. I think that was a big one, just going from what we were talking about before, you know, that we knew that we had to sort of seamlessly execute all these looks on the film mm. and that we had to make sure that we were completely always knowing what the continuity was. So as we were going in these five decades and bouncing around the place that all of our designs that we, we both designed and the, the continuity of it all, that we knew that the team were you know spot on every time that we were doing any kind of sequence. And so I think that was a really big challenge. But I think once we had that breakdown where we knew exactly where, you know, costumes, hair, makeup, where we were going with it all, Chris bouncing around, we we were all, we always knew where we were going with it, you know, and I think that really helped. Yeah, there's no winging it. Yeah. No, <laughs> and we were, you know, such a fast pace that, that I think that was the biggest part of prep to lock it in before we started, because then we we always knew where we were going. There was this re- a guideline that the whole team as a whole, oh. you know, everybody in hair and makeup could do this. And we knew, we knew that we were, we were always in sequence, even if we were filming out of sequence. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I, I held on to the fear until I watched the film, whether it actually worked or not. Cause you just, because you are shooting out of sequence, I was just like, we've, you know, you can lay the best plans and, and try and figure out as much as you possibly can. But until you see the end product, you're just kind of like, did it work? Yeah. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was nice to watch it and be like, it worked. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think everybody probably felt that. I mean, I think I was lucky. I was 
probably luckier because I'd done Inception and in- Interstellar and Tenant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Melting around like this too. I think the yeah. added element on this one was just that it was period and it was all this aging. So yeah, def- there's definitely a heightened level of just being so conscious. But yeah, I think just having that continuity breakdown, it, it certainly helped me feel more settled, you know, but it, it was good to see it at the end and know that it had worked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Phew. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now I can breathe. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. And then the, you know, the, I think the other thing that's really important, I'd like to mention, I think most people have probably seen it if they've seen the making of, but, you know, I, I felt hearing Hoyte, Van Hoytema, who's our DP, you know, mm actually saying which we knew this but actually saying you know that that he'd use some of the harshest lights and extreme close-ups possible for prosthetics and aging work and that he'd also had you know this unique thing that we'd been filming with IMAX 70 mil in black and white mm. and that it'd been the first time ever this film format had been created and used yeah and I think for us, that probably was also one of the biggest things, you know, that knowing like no CGI and people, people saying, you know, that Hoyter and Chris sort of going, we are definitely going to do these tight, tight close-ups constantly. Yeah. I think that, that that's probably for us one of the biggest things because we knew there was nowhere to hide. I mean, like all of the choices we technically made had to be so specific and so they had to have impact. Like, so I think, you know, for me, I, I think, you know, designing this one, I chose in a way differently to other projects because I, I wanted to make sure that when we testing that everything that we knew was going on any character mm. had a purpose. Yeah. So that when we were in these tight close-ups, there was these subtle changes to every character in every decade, but it wasn't just doing, so for us, like doing prosthetics or, you know, I'm sure on your side doing, you know, a hair piece, why they were there so that when when you saw them like this and you saw these detailed close-ups, you were like, okay, this is why we changed this person, that everything had a purpose, you know? I thought that probably one of the biggest challenges I think paid off in the end in the film you know because a lot of the time people aren't even aware when the prosthetics are on which is what we were trying to do you know yeah absolutely I know for me that I oh well I think it's just our craft really we love learning we are continuously learning and I like to get to the end of a project and kind of think about what I've learned this time around so were there any standout lessons learned throughout shooting for you? Yeah, I mean, I think I think I I definitely think having talked to everybody in the team, like all of the makeup artists, and they're all extremely talented, and um, I mean, and very experienced. Like the team in itself was really strong prosthetic team. Yeah, I think everybody felt by the end of this project, they were better artists for having gone through this journey. Oh, that's awesome. But, yeah, they've all said that to me, which is extraordinary. You know, it's very humbling, I think. But mm. I think that was probably for myself. And this is in every film that I've worked with Chris because, you know, you're working on IMAX and it's also detailed. Is um, I think always being prepared to be humbled and to make difficult choices in designs that 
purely are to help tell a story. And I think that was one of the big ones where with the designs for every character, we started off often being with full prosthetics, you know, and, and really pushing all of the designs full on and then seeing the tests and very, being very critical of everything and pulling back on a lot of the stuff to tell the story and make sure that, like I said earlier, that there were all these details why we were doing everything. So there was always a purpose. And I think that holding back like that, that's something that I think isn't always easy. And so I think that that's probably one of the main things that I learned. And I think also the other thing I I mentioned earlier, but I think it's worth mentioning again, is that, you know, what most people don't realize, I think when they're watching this film is that from Los Alamos onwards, so as people get to like their middle age watching the the movie which i watched it recently on full imax again yeah that every scene there is a character with either aging or prosthetics or both for the whole film after los alamos and i think one of the things really i learned was like seeing it again like that of going that having makeups that appear invisible oh. but are subtle and are purposefully done that they really work it technically in this in the film like this where you're you're wanting the story to just be these characters that are believable but that you you're transforming people but in a way that is subtle that doesn't take the audience out of the film and i think that's what i from myself i think that's what i learned more than anything from this project that making those bold choices they can pay off and i it was really great like you you know where you there's that um not not fear but just sort of a anxiousness of wanting it to be really great and then you know, and making those choices of how far to push it or or how far to pull in to get these really subtle transitions into sort of younger through to middle age and then to you know slightly older middle age yeah I think I was just thinking, Louisa, you know how they, I don't know if they do it that much anymore, but you'd be able to watch a film and you'd be able to hear the dialogue of like the director talking about what happened in each scene and how they shot it and all that type of stuff. I think people would be fascinated for you to talk over the film and actually point out all the makeup that was done because, yeah, as you say, it's invisible as part of telling the story. And they'd be like, oh, they have aging right now? Oh, I would never have known. It just worked. You know what I mean? Like it's... Like, yeah, yes, well, ex- exactly. I mean, there, there are characters, you know, like Frank, you know, Oppenheimer's younger brother. Mm. He had prosthetics throughout the whole thing. Yeah. He looked too young when he first came in just as a person. And so, you know, that's something that you wouldn't really necessarily even call it aging. It's really a character makeup, but it was a way to make him transition. And so, yeah, you're right. I mean, there were, when I counted it up, there were 18 people that we aged, but some of them were really subtle. So they, you know, was really not making them, I think when people say, think of aging, they just think of making people look old. Right. But for us, that you know, wasn't the case. Yeah, we were trying to just make people look period and in character where, there were subtle transforms, so maybe making them look 10 years older, but not old in any way. Yeah, it was incredible seeing it again because, 
yeah, I think you're right. Like it would be quite fun to do that because I certainly was noticing it the last time I watched it where, you know, I realized, yes, that every scene there's somebody that's been transformed, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like there were, I, I feel like I didn't know that about Frank until you told me after the fact, but I wasn't looking after him either. So I wasn't like seeing him in my chair or anything, but it was just like, oh, amazing. That's so cool. <laughs> I'm like, you know, seeing him on set every day and having no idea. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I think that, yeah, those were some of the surprises, actually. Those happened during the tests where Chris would see people in the tests and then there were certain people, certain characters that he was like, yeah, we need to make them look a little bit older than they are. And so there were actually people that we went, oh, wow, we're not going to age them in 10 years. We're actually aging them from the beginning. So they were, there were, you know, quite a few characters where they literally were always aged right from when we first saw them. Um, and then we transitioned them from there. But yeah, that was a surprise. We weren't expecting that. But uh, but I think seeing the film, Chris's choices in that were really great. And so, yeah, it was fun to have more prosthetics than we originally thought. That's awesome. And just, yeah, I think just taking that time with Chris to kind of figure out, it's like what what can be done? What little things can you do to to push it in that direction? Yes, I mean, as you know, that's something that's really amazing. It's like having a director like Chris who really is so detail-oriented and is so involved in the prep at the beginning. So there's this a great amount of prep where you're really researching, really discussing, sort of solving a lot of the problems doing tests and then visual ab- adaptations to be able to show the these sort of changes and having somebody that's receptive to being really collaborative and and very um aware of of the vision he wants you know and then you see the film and you see that the combined efforts of what everybody did you know we were so connected uh, as artists in every department where we could have this sort of group meetings and then obviously then tests together. I think it really helps and it, it you can see it in the film and it that comes from being directed by somebody like Chris Nolan, you know. Yeah. I think it's nice too just being, you know, in the hair and makeup department and having director who really respects what you kind of can bring to the to the film as artists. Because that doesn't yeah. always happen as we know. <laughs> no, I totally agree. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So a department is always made up of so many artists. So did you, I mean, you've spoken of how incredible your team was, as I know, as well. Um, Did you want to take a moment and give a shout out to those that helped you on the project? Yes, like I said before, this was an incredible team. I mean, some some people I had not worked with before, most of them I had. Mm. And they really were extraordinary. I mean, the, as soon as I knew about the project, the first thing I did was I called Jason Hamer at Hamer Effects because I'd worked with Jason before and I knew that Chris Nolan would get on really well with him. And everybody at Hamer Effects and the team there, I really want to thank them, like Hiro Yada, all the sculptors that were there because they did an incredible job making the pieces for us and the pieces were throughout the whole film. So I really want to thank them. They're extraordinary. And then really all the team that we had, I mean, there's so many artists that I could name and they all know who they are, but I think all the teams that were, you know, in New Mexico and New Jersey and LA and Berkeley, just everybody that helped on the film. And that's really for the makeup team, 
Hamer Effects and the hair department, because it really, honestly, as a full collaborative team, I think what you see in the film in Oppenheimer is really a, a combined effort of everybody's hard work and how well we all work together was, uh, I think it was very special. And certainly when you look at the film, you really, I, I certainly felt that. And I, you know, went down sort of memory lane of, you know, just all of the work that everybody put in as, as a group. Yeah. It was a good, good team of people doing and just yeah, bringing their A game, like just every day. Yes. Just, yeah, for sure. You know, and I, and I think that I, you know, I really think that something we'll all be proud of because I think, you know, the work speaks for itself all around. You know, we're really happy how the film has been received, really. And I, and um, hopefully, you know, all of our roles had a part of, you know, part of that in the film. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Louisa, so a massive congratulations again. Enjoy the ride, ladies. And thanks for joining me. Thanks, Jamie Lee. Really nice to be here with you. 